Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is April 7th. 2021. I am hanging out this Wednesday evening with Stacy and Natalia, and we are talking about books that revolve around second chances and fresh starts. Yay. So kind of, I feel like, you know, fresh starts and second chances go kind of well together. So I thought this would be kind of a cool spring-like episode. So I'm going to give us the usual housekeeping information then I will start us off, followed by Stacy and, of course, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight came out in 2018, and I just now read it. Um, sometimes it takes me a while, but I'm really, really excited that I finally read it. It is Long Shot, <gasps> Hoops Book One by Kennedy Ryan. Love it. And it is so, so amazing. I've read other Kennedy Ryan stuff, but I never read her, her Hoops books. And so I'm really glad that I finally picked it up. So this is the story of Iris. And Iris is, in the beginning of the novel, dating a basketball player named Caleb and she's not really sure that she wants it to be like more serious than it already is. She has her own dream. She wants to be in the sports business, but not as an athlete, more kind of behind the scenes. And she's really sure that she wants her work to be you know, a big part of her life. She doesn't want to give up her dreams to get married and have children. But Caleb is not a stellar individual. And when Iris gets pregnant, this kind of makes it mm, possible for him to control her and eventually abuse her in the way that he seems to want to do. So in many ways, Iris feels kind of trapped and she can't stop thinking about this man named August that she met when she and Caleb were still dating and that she kind of felt like, you know, the time wasn't right for her and August to be together. You know, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do about Caleb and then she got pregnant. So now she has a daughter and Caleb has pretty much told her that if she leaves him, he will kill her and he will keep their daughter, you know, basically for himself. And this really concerns Iris for many, many reasons. So she finally figures out a way to get away from Caleb but that doesn't necessarily mean that she wants to jump right into a relationship with August, even though 
she has very strong feelings for him. So in a lot of ways, this is like a, a second chance romance tale in the sense that eventually Iris and August do get their happily ever after. But I think one of the most impactful parts of the book for me is watching Iris struggle to kind of come back from the abuse she suffered at Caleb's hands and actually understanding that this is not her fault, that she can still be a vibrant, vital woman and that she is worthy of love and devotion. There are some pretty intense descriptions of domestic violence on the page. So I would definitely, you know, pay attention to that if that's something that you have trouble reading about. Um, but this is just such a stellar book in pretty much every possible way. It is Long Shot Hoops, book one by Kennedy Ryan. I love this book so much. It's so good. I discovered Kennedy Ryan because of our interview with Kristen Higgins and she recommended it. Yes. And I know Natalia yes. and yes. I right away like grabbed this book and I think we both I read know. it like at the same time back in 2018. I had just it given was... birth. I, I've <laughs> read it mostly at two in the morning feeding Gabriel. Yeah. You know, two, three, four in the morning. It kept me company. <laughs> and there was a scene in that book that really impacted me um, that just showed the scene where she's trying to get away. Um, oh, yeah. And all the things that he does to manipulate and gaslight and all the yes. things. And I just, you know, the, it was just a very impactful moment for me. Just like, holy crap, like these things like really happen. And it didn't feel contrived for the book. Um, I also love the scenes with her grandmother later in the book. I thought those were really interesting oh, as well. Yes. Um, I just, it was a great book. So I occasionally have some trouble with second chance romance because a lot of times I feel like if the, if the protagonists would just have spoken with each other, all the drama and all of the, you know, high emotion and angst could have been avoided. And so I struggle a little bit with second chance, but I discovered an author recently. She's new to me and I read the most gorgeous second chance romance and it's called North to you by Tiff Marcello journey to the heart book one. And oh my gosh. So this book is for those of you who are foodie, those of you who love San Francisco, those of you who like big, messy family dynamics, um, and love a romance too. So this book is about Camille and Camille is the owner of a food truck in the beautiful, vibrant city of San Francisco. And she is uh, using her Nonna's recipes, her, her Italian grandmother, and she's cooking with her, her grandmother's. Oh my God. It's so good. So she's cooking with her grandmother's Italian recipes. Well, something happens at the beginning of the book and she has to move her food truck. And what she doesn't know is when she moves in front of this Filipino restaurant, the man who's come back into her life, that was her high school crush. And now they've, <sighs> they've met up again almost 10 years later. Um, it's his father's Filipino restaurant. And her food truck and the Filipino restaurant are at war, basically, because his father believes that she is taking up his valuable space and, you know, she's just trying to make a living. And so there's all these awkward like Facebook, um, social media posts about both sides, but 
Drew, her love interest, hasn't come clean to her that he is both in love with her, but also the son of True North, the oh, Filipino no. restaurant that's <laughs> oh. giving, I know, giving her grief. And this book is about this young woman and how she is trying to keep her little family together. She has a younger sibling. Um, it's about Drew, who did not follow in his father's footsteps. His father wants this restaurant, True North, to be his legacy. And instead, Drew has joined the army because that's his dream and hasn't been home to see his family in years because he disappointed his father and he just can't take it. So this book hmm. is about two people falling in love amidst some misunderstandings, but it's also about the, the messy dynamics of a loving family when they all come together to love and support each other and have to kind of figure out how to navigate a situation that is causing a lot. It's, it's a fraught situation on both sides. And Tiff Marcello um, just was so good at painting these very vivid word pictures of my beloved San Francisco and I felt like I could smell the smells and I felt like I was there walking the streets of San Francisco with Camille and Drew as they fell in love. And this book was everything. It was just very charming. Um, it was a very gentle romance. Um, it was not closed door by any means, but um, the sex scenes were a bit understated. If you like a little bit more um, sexy times, you know, just, just to be aware of that. But I feel like everything about this book, it was a lot of, you know, learning about yourself and self awareness. It, it was a great, wonderful book. And if I could like twirl on a mountaintop and sing its praises, that's what I'd be doing right now. And I just, I feel like this <laughs> author is underappreciated. And so is there's there a lot of again, food. There's a lot of yeah, food, Italian food, food and truck. Filipino food and, yes. you know, different like vibrant, like Asian food. Like at yes. one point they go into like this Asian market and I'm like, oh my God, I want to go back. And, you know, they just, she describes enough of the city where you feel like she's not just going like there's fog and a Golden Gate Bridge, you know, like she actually, this <laughs> Like author, Lisa Gardner about Boston. Right. It's like, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. You feel like San Francisco is almost a character in the story. And that's the right. kind of thing I really love. So um, this was a gorgeous second chance romance. It was very charming. It was, you know, just everything that I like about a good story with lots of messy family dynamics and good food. So again, this is North to You. Journey to the Heart, book one by Tiff Marcello. And please, please read this book if you need a little mood boost. It's so good. Wow. I'm going to read that like now. You know, I'm in a book oh my shop God. and I love yeah. foodie books. I know. You know Food that trucks. like always, always books with restaurants. You know, when I was younger, I wanted to own a restaurant and we wanted to call it El Mambo Grill. <laughs> <laughs> So my first book is going to be, it is definitely a second chance and there is romance, but it's not like a based on a second chance. And I just want to start by saying that there are just so many books and so many authors that I can mention that we can all mention. I, I, I love second chance. I love the angst and the tension when, when they, you know, haven't seen each other in like 15 years and, you know, I definitely don't want a second chance romance in my own life, but reading about it is great. So the first book I'm going to talk about is One Perfect Summer by Brenda Novak. And this book is about Serenity Alston. She decided one day to swap her cheek for 23andMe. 
which if some of you don't know, it's actually a real website where you can send your DNA and find out like what your heritage is, um, what you're descended from, if there are relatives that you might have um, you don't, you don't know, know about. about. <laughs> you know, it's kind of scary. I don't know if I'll do that, but um, she thought, you know, as a joke, she said, ah, I'm going to cover some dark ancestral secrets. Ha ha. You know, yeah, my you she comes from a, yeah, she comes from a great loving family, married parents, awesome siblings, like, you know, except she just went through a really, really terrible divorce. And yeah, divorce is terrible, but hers was especially terrible because not only was it a divorce, but there was it was also a trial because her husband was convicted for a crime. And uh, the sort of crime he was convicted for is a sort of crime that she, as his wife, um, is not convicted, cannot be convicted by um, court, but is convicted by assassination of character. So, you know, she's going through that. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, she gets the results for 23andMe and she has two half sisters she didn't know existed. So everything she knew about her family just completely goes goes away. It's like, what? How do I have two half sisters? So she feels like making a meeting with her two half sisters is going to be the only way to get answers. Her parents own this cabin in Lake Tahoe. And she usually goes there to, you know, I guess, recharge. So they wouldn't find anything weird about her saying, hey, I'm going to be in the cabin. So she decides not to tell her parents that she has invited these two sisters to spend the summer with her. And her two sisters are Megan, who is having trouble with the politics of New York. She's she's a some kind of she works at some kind of firm, firm firm for like advertising, I think. And she's trying to figure out, I guess, what she wants to do because she likes her career, but she's very lonely. And Lorelai has a little girl and is on the brink of a broken marriage that is falling apart. So all three of them are kind of at a crossroads. And the summer is going to give them a chance to get to know each other. They've all committed to spending the summer together to see if there's something worth salvaging in their relationship. And also to discover the mystery as to why they are half sisters and how they're going to move forward knowing that this is their truth now. But, you know, any future is easy to face if family's by your side, right? So maybe not. (laughs) Well, usually in a book like A Second Chance, yes. (laughs) Maybe not in a thriller. (laughs) So this is One Perfect Summer by Brenda Novak. You know, maybe not in Still Missing. (laughs) No, no, not. (laughs) (laughs) This is One Perfect Summer by Brenda Novak. And if you have not read this, do pick it up. I I very much enjoyed it. it. I really enjoyed this one. I liked the the dynamics of people not knowing that there were other siblings and, right. um, you know, there was some nice romance, but the, for me that the biggest thing was that the, the sisters getting to know each other. So, right. Yeah. That, it that was, was sort of second chance sisters, the right? <laughs> yeah. The right. Family. Yeah. So my second book tonight falls kind of on the new beginning end of this episode spectrum. This is The Bride Test, The Kiss Quotient, book two by Helen Huang. And first of all, I have to say that I really love The Kiss Quotient. Like, I think it is just one of the most perfect books ever. And so I wasn't sure how it could be possible that I could like, like another book quite as much. And yet, 
I really, really love the bride test. Me too. It's so good. Three. I can't decide which one I like better. I of the two. I don't they're think just you so can really no, they're decide. both so special. When is she gonna come out with another one? In August, the Never. heart principle. Oh my god. Yeah. So long. So this is the story of Kai, and you will remember him if you've read the Kiss Quotient, um, because he is the cousin of the hero in the Kiss Quotient. And he has kind of spent his life feeling like he's defective. He's pretty sure he just doesn't have any feelings. He doesn't know how to relate to people. And he just kind of views that as like a closed door. He's not going to do anything about it. He's going to live his life the way he wants to, and it'll be fine. But his mother, as mothers so often do, has other plans. And so she journeys to Vietnam to find him the perfect wife. And she ends up meeting a young woman named Esme. And she convinces Esme to come to the United States for the summer and to get to know Kai and hopefully to fall in love with him and marry him. But when, once Esme actually gets to the United States, it becomes clear to her that Kai is not on board with this plan. Like, he really <laughs> just is not interested in this at all. And for her part, you know, Esme has some mixed emotions. She has left Vietnam for the summer, leaving her young daughter behind. And whereas there's a piece of her that feels like she's doing this because maybe she'll be able to make a better life for her daughter if she does it, she also has a lot of guilt and conflict about being away from her for so long. So she and Kai sort of forge this uneasy friendship. They enjoy spending time together, but Kai really isn't interested in what his mother, you know, is, is planning for him and for Esme. And so this is a little bit tricky for him. But slowly, 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 they begin to have feelings for each other. And it soon becomes clear that just as his mother always thought like Kai is capable of loving and I love the fact that like his autism is just sort of a piece of who he is it sort of defines like certain aspects of his life in terms of like the way that he relates to people the way that he interprets things that are sort of like unspoken rules or like things that we kind of view as like things we know subconsciously he doesn't always know them But I like that he is a fully drawn character, not just like a character with a disability who has to behave in stereotypical ways. I really appreciate that about the characters that Helen Huang creates. Esme is just wonderful. I really found myself rooting for her pretty much from the beginning of the book. And this is just such a heartwarming, fantastic read. It's The Bride Test, The Kiss Quotient, book two by Helen Huang. Oh, I love this book so much. I want to read it's it right so, now. It's so good. I, I love this book. I love this book so much that I'm jealous that Shannon talked about I it know. and that I didn't think of it. Like, well, why didn't I think of it? What was I, I doing? <laughs> I knew I wanted to do like an immigration book as kind of like a like a fresh like start. A new start. Yes. Uh-huh. And then I'm thinking like, oh, like this is an immigration book. <laughs> right. This book to me was um, 
so of course the kiss quotient is like my favorite thing on the planet, right? Like oh, the, the kiss quotient. Nothing can top that. But this book to me, I, I just Esme was so like strong and kind and resilient. And yes. um, you know, she's thrust into this life that makes no sense to her, but yet she's doing it for reasons that I won't spoil. Um, and I just think that there's a um a quiet strength about her that I really admired throughout the book. Yes. And a and, grit. Uh, she has a grit. grit. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. So we've been talking a lot about second chances and um, some fresh starts, but I've been really obsessed in the last few months with paranormal women's fiction. Yes. I know. And it's, it's uh, books about women um, who are in their forties and up who are starting over with life, kicking ass, taking names and demonstrating that women in their forties can still experience um, just all the things that life has to offer, but they have a little bit more um, seasoning. And one thing that I love about the genre is the fact that most of these women are thrown into situations where they are completely starting over. And today I'm going to talk to you about my favorite series that I discovered in 2021. And I know it's only April, but I cannot see this changing anytime soon because it made me so happy. I wanted to like sing and twirl and like tell everybody about these books and I'm talking about the 40 Proof series by Shannon Mayer. Yay! And I'm going to talk about the first one, Midlife Bounty Hunter. And these books are about Brina. Her name's Bree. And she uh, and her husband have divorced. And now she's been relegated to moving in with her husband's cousin in his loft. And how horrifying is that? Ugh. And... So she's trying to figure out like what is going to happen to her in the next stage of her life. She just feels brought very low by things and she gets an offer for a job interview, but, but going on this job interview means that she's going to have to tap into the lessons taught to her in childhood by her grandmother about magic and otherworldly things. And she spent the majority of her adult life pretending like, all of these otherworldly supernatural things are not all around her. But, you know, she doesn't want to just be like a drain on everything. And she just wants to be able to make her own money and find her own place and have a job. So she goes to interview and this is where everything starts. She meets a skeleton who turns out to be her like closest friend. There are two skeletons. I know. I can't remember his name now. Robert. Robert, Yes. And I think these books take place in Charleston, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yes. And so there's a lot of Savannah, maybe. Oh my gosh. Like I read these like two months ago and I'm blanking. It's a historical Southern city. Okay. (laughs) Like, and it doesn't say in the synopsis. Um, But anyway, so she, she goes to this job interview and finds out that she can use the magical skills that she has um, to start, you know, kind of dealing with um, unsavory things that are going on in the city. And as she's beginning to learn about what power she has, There's all of these men like vying for her affection. There's her husband's younger, hot cousin. There's this very mysterious man who seems to have some fey origin to him. And then she has some other friends that she meets along the way that kind of make this amazing found family. And there's like a story arc. There's a mystery that kind of goes throughout all of the books 
um, about like her powers and what they are. There's, you know, mystery about, um, you know, what actually happened to her grandmother um, who passed away, who had taught her all that she knew about magic um, as a child. And, you know, these books are about a woman who hit rock bottom starting over and, you know, kind of gaining her power, both magical, but also just as a woman, um, you know, coming into her own. And there's just something about these books that makes me so happy. I can't even tell you. And I don't want to say much more because it's going to spoil the series. But um, if you really enjoy books about women starting over, kicking ass, taking names, coming into their own with found family, some sexy romantic options, and lots of mystery and suspense nonstop action, pick up Midlife Bounty Hunter 40 Proof Book One by Shannon Mayer. You will not regret it. Oh my God, these books are so good. I can't even. I love they are so, Mayer. so good. So speaking of second chances and new beginnings, I didn't want to do this, but I, I really couldn't. And I'm sure, you know, Shannon will forgive me for this, but I couldn't not, <laughs> not do a second chance without talking about Angels Fall by Nora Roberts. I just really oh, love this book. I, I do. And I, I was trying. I was like, you know, you always talk about Nora Roberts. Um, try to talk about new things and there are just so many new things but this is one of those books that I just look at the summary and I want to reread it because I really 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 yeah. really enjoyed it yeah, so I like this one a this, lot me too this book came out uh when like in 2006 I think and I reread it um maybe last year and enjoyed it just as much maybe even more than I did and of course it's a food book or it's about a former former chef, a Reese Gilmore. Um, she is kind of on the run. She was the sole survivor of a really terrible crime uh, back in the east part of the United States. And she's not running away from a person, but more from her own kind of demons. She has a lot of serious nightmares, serious PTSD. And so she just decided to get in her car and drive as far as the car would take her and settle there to see if she can figure her, her life out and uh, figure out how she can get rid of the nightmares and panic attacks she's been having. So she ends up settling in a town called Angel's Fist, Wyoming, of course. And she was a former chef, as I said, of a really big restaurant back east. So she takes a job at a diner and She's, you know, deciding to hike a mountain, something that she's never done. And why not do it all by herself, right? She can survive anything after what she's been through. Um, it was wonderful, wonderful. She was looking through her binoculars at the wonderful view and having a great time and not lost. And then she saw a man and woman on the opposite bank. They were arguing. And then all of a sudden, the man was on top of a woman and his hands were on her throat and he was killing her. And I think he did kill her. And then farther down the trail is a loner named Brody that's from the town. But by the time she finds him to tell him what's going on, everything's vanished. When the authorities look around the area, it's like nobody was ever there. There's no proof that there was a struggle, no earth, not even a tire track. It, it's as if she was imagining the whole thing. And even worse, no one in this new town seems to believe her because after all, she's a newcomer in town. and she's 
known for being jumpy, jittery, and it might be even a little bit too much for them. So is it time to run away again to move on? So, yes, this is suspense and it's a thriller, but I really nobody writes New Beginnings, Second Chance, Found Family like Nora Roberts. I I seriously wish that some of these characters existed in real life so that I could find them (laughs) for me. Right. Because it's just so awesome. A lot of the town doesn't believe her. And a lot of the town thinks she's kind of, you know, uh, off her rocker, like they say. But the ones who do adopt her and take her in, like the owner of the diner and the love interest and a couple friends that she manages to make. It's just so wonderful how they just take her under their wing and accept her for who she is and allow her to work her demons and believe her when she says look I know what's a nightmare I know what's a panic attack I know what's PTSD but this I actually saw this I'm actually sure about so this is Angel Falls Angel's Fall by Nora Roberts and uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do I think maybe I'll reread it again it's so, so good it, that is a good one and I, I just read it again um, I did a reread probably I don't know, 2019 or 2020. And I just liked it. It stood up very well for me um, to the test of time. I I thought it was just as good now. So my next pick is a book that I was initially kind of reluctant to read. Um, It looked kind of, I don't know, overly fluffy. Fluffy! And (laughs) I don't really like books about sports. And uh, I just, I didn't really want to read it. However, my reading, um, the, the Safer at Home book club that I joined shortly after COVID took over the world, I was reading it. So I said, okay. Oh, and I'll read it. Ugh. Yes. So once <laughs> I dove in, I was just so in love with this book. And it's one of those things where, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, really? And then you start to read it and it was just so fantastic. I loved everything about it. So this is Evie Drake Starts Over. It's by Linda Holmes, and our main character, imagine that, is named Evie Drake. Wow. Yeah, and it's been a year since her husband died, and people would expect that she's just, like, brokenhearted about this, um, you know, that she can't, like, come to terms with her grief, but actually, that isn't true at all, because the marriage that Evie had with her husband was not super great. And so in a way, she's actually kind of relieved that he's gone. She was planning to leave him actually on the day that he died. And she does, though, feel guilty about that. Like she feels guilty that she's not sad, that she's in a lot of ways, like kind of happy that he's not around. And she's never really been able to confess this to anybody. So it's a hard place for her to be in. And then this man comes to her house. Someone told him that he could rent a room from her. And his name is Dean. He is a baseball player who has been experiencing a phenomenon where he is not able to pitch anymore. And apparently this is a thing that actually does happen to some baseball players. And he's kind of having like a crisis of, of conscious. He doesn't really know like what he wants to do. He just feels like unmoored. And together he and Evie 
form this friendship. They have certain rules, like they're not going to talk about baseball. They're not going to talk about her marriage, but they're going to talk about all kinds of other things. And they're going to slowly begin to heal each other and themselves. I love the town this is set in. Um, It's set in a small town in Maine. And it's just one of those like quirky, picturesque towns that you read about in books and you're like, there's no way, you know, a place like this exists. But it's so, just so remarkable to read about. Um, I really found myself relating in different ways to both Evie and to Dean. Um, I was not overwhelmed by the amount of like sports talk um, and like references to how important baseball is to Dean. Um, I was a little worried that I wouldn't be able to relate to him because of that, since I'm not really a sports person, but it was not a problem. This was just such a lovely, lovely book. It is Evie Drake Starts Over, and it's by Linda Holmes. Yay, I love this book so much. I can still see where I was sitting when I started reading it and everything. Oh my gosh, like it just was special and charming and delightful and insightful and ugh. It is so good. I hope this author puts out something else. I do too. I do too. I don't see anything. I read a book whilst sitting on the beach last week. And I thought to myself, how could I go to, how could I talk about books on a podcast about starting over and second chances without talking about an LJ Shen novel, because a lot of the books that I've read by her are kind of second chance romance. And so I'm going to be talking about The Devil Wears Black by LJ Shen. This book is about Maddie Goldblum. And Maddie has the life that she wants in New York City. She has um, some good friends. She has a really wonderful career. She's a wedding dress designer, um, which I think is really cool. And she has just started a relationship with um, a very sort of stolid, sort of um, consistent and stable and kind pediatrician boyfriend. And that's what she wants. She wants stability. She wants kindness. But as she's walking home from a date with this new dependable and kind and predictable pediatrician boyfriend. She sees on the front steps of her building, sitting there, Chase Black, the man who broke her heart months ago, broke it, eviscerated it, hurt her deeply to her soul. And Chase Black wants something from Maddie. Chase Black is a complete toolbox. And I hated him, but his one redeeming quality is that he loves his father and his father's dying of cancer. And he never got around to telling his family that he and Maddie broke up and it would make his father so incredibly happy to think that he and Maddie are still together. Oh, I love books like this. I know. (laughs) So He convinces Maddie because people call her like martyr and things like that because she's just such a kind person. What? Kidding. I said she's a mom. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, she's not a mom. (laughs) Um, But people like say she always like is so kind and she always helps others. And Chase plays upon that to get her to come and spend 
an engagement party weekend with his family at his family's, you know, like estate um, to convince his father that they are together. They're going to have a little family engagement party. Well, from this point, things continue to happen that keeps Maddie kind of reeled in and keeps her sort of in this pattern of pretending to love this man who hurt her so badly. And, you know, it took me a long time to like Chase because he had nice parents, he had a lovely sister, and he was just, I don't know if I can say the word I want to say. So let's see, what can I say? He's the French word for shower. He's a complete douche. Like he's terrible. He's not a nice person. And like, he is just someone that I just think is a complete tool bag. So he, but through all this, he keeps understanding, like, you know, all the things that he said bothered him about Maddie were actually things that he loved about her. And by, you know, halfway through our story, He's trying to figure out what he can do to actually keep this woman in his life and not be Maddie. Ass, maybe? Well, that's, that's step number one, <laughs> but Maddie won't have it. She wants this security. She wants the security of being with her pediatrician boyfriend who's not going to break her heart and who's very dependable. And, you know, and so as, as, as Chase continues to spend time with Maddie and she continues to spend time with Chase, she guards her heart from him while part of her continues to sort of soften and remember what drew her to him in the first place. And this book is actually one of my favorite LJ Shen books. Um, it's a slow burn. To me, it sort of feels more on the cusp of a women's fiction novel. Um, the sexy times are pretty limited uh, in terms of like other LJ Shen books that we've read. And, you know, it's, it's more about family and friendships and, you know, staying true to yourself and your beliefs and staying strong. It's about learning how to kind of let your walls down and how to kind of be present in the relationship that you're currently in instead of in the relationship that ended many years ago that hurt you. And, you know, if you like second chance romance, if you like the sort of billionaire and, you know, all that kind of trope, I think that you'd really like The Devil Wears Black by L.J. Shen. Awesome. The next book I'm going to talk about is called The City Baker's Guide to Country Living <gasps> by oh, Lewis Miller. Oh, yay! Yes! You know, when I remembered that I was going to talk about this, I wrote you guys this really long message replying to Stacy as to what I was going to talk about. And then before I hit send, the I got a call at work. And then I was <laughs> looking at the thread catching up and I saw it there. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. City Baker's Guide to Country Living. That was awesome. I love that book. Talk about so, starting over. Talk about starting over. You know that I love food books. So why don't we continue with this? <laughs> so this is about Olivia Rawlings. She's a pastry chef. And uh, she works for an exclusive Boston dinner club. And oh my God, I used to sing for a lot of those when I was living there. And the food, when they give it to you, is <laughs> so good. And the desserts, oh, oh, just amazing. But guess what happens to Olivia? Not only does she set the dessert that she was working on 
on fire, but the whole building. <gasps> oh, which if you haven't lived in Boston, um, you know you won't know this, but it is so easy to do this. It, it really, really is because the buildings are so old. Funny example: one of my friends, he he was making pasta and he forgot about it, and a little bit of smoke came out, <gasps> and it set up the smoke alarms. And literally everybody had to exit this like, you know, six-story building, and it was because of him. He has never lived that down for me. (laughs) So what happens when she loses her job because of setting her building on fire? Well, she escapes to the most comforting place she can think of, the idyllic town of Guthrie, Vermont, home of Bag Barn, Contra dances and her best friend hannah which is always awesome now those of y'all who don't know what bag barns are or contra dances i didn't know either before i read this book so it's fine you know it's very interesting how different northern and southern small towns are from one another and yet so similar in so many ways and what i love about olivia is that she has an awesome dog named salty Salty the dog. Salty the doggy. I love it. <laughs> so this was supposed to just be a getaway with her best friend for her to recover, you know, figure out what she was going to do with her life. But it goes into a different direction when uh, Margaret Hurley, who is the cantankerous owner of the Sugar Maple Inn, love the name, offers Olivia a job. Since Olivia is broke and she knows that her days in the club are numbered. She accepts this job. And so she moves with her huge salty the doggy into a sugar house, which I didn't know what that was either on the inn's property. And she starts making her wonderful desserts for the residents of Guthrie, which I love. I love reading about her cooking and the recipes. And this is just my cat. A thousand percent. Um, and basically, after shortly after she's hired, she realizes that the reason why Miss Margaret hired her because she wants to reclaim the inn's blue ribbon status at the annual county fair. And I don't know about you, but when I read these, coming from a city, when I read all these small town novels with like these blue ribbon and eating contests and all this stuff, I'm thinking like, is this real? Does this happen? People really do this? Yeah. And are people really this competitive? Well, I know people are competitive, but you know. So with the joys of a fragrant kitchen, the sound of banjos and fiddles being tuned in the bar and the crisp scent of the orchard just outside the front door. That sounds like heaven. Mm, orchards. Livy soon finds herself immersed in small town life, which and it gets even juicier when she meets Martin McCracken, who is a resident of Guthrie. I guess he grew up there and he's returned from his big city life in Seattle to take care of his ailing father. And that's where she begins to understand that she might not be as alone as she thought. But then something else happens that takes everybody by surprise and Livy must decide whether she should do what she does best, which is run away or stay and figure out what it means to belong. Because sometimes the life you want is not what you think you do or what you're looking for at all. It might be better. So this is the City Baker's Guide to Country Living by Louise Miller. Why have I never read this? 
Oh my god, I love no, this book so much. Oh I didn't god. know any of you guys had read this book. No, I read this I book like need this. All right, so let's make a hard right turn. Oh hard, geez, hard. We're going to Uh-oh. thrillers. No, we're not actually. <laughs> oh no, we are okay. going back in time to India in the 1950s. Ooh, and I know ooh. we are going to talk about the henna artist by Elka Joshi, and. This, like, you know, I read a lot of things that are set in India historically, like in, you know, 1800s, 1700s. I've read a bunch of things about British colonized India, but not so much about India in the 20th century, like after World War II. So this is the story of Lakshmi. And when Lakshmi is 17, she is married to this man who does not treat her well. And that's just not something that she's willing to stand for. And so she leaves him and she journeys to the big city and she is determined that she is going to make a life for herself on her own. So she becomes one of the most well-known and best loved henna artists for the city's rich women. And through her work with these women, she gets to know a lot about them, a lot of their most intimate secrets. You know, it's kind of like people who tell all their troubles to their hairdressers or their manicurists or their bartender. Um, My mom is a bartender and she gets to know like all kinds of stuff about all kinds of people. And I imagine that that's kind of how it is for Lakshmi in this book. So she gets to know all these things, but she's never really thought of as the equal of these women. And so in a lot of ways, although she has forged this life on her own and she's really proud of all of her success, there's a piece of her that is kind of lonely and and like adrift. So years later, she is still living and working in the city. And her business is like pretty well built up. You know, she makes a good living for herself and her husband tracks her down. And at first she's like really, really not pleased about this. But then with him is this young girl who turns out to be a sister that Lakshmi never knew she had. And so now she has to find room in her life for this sister who know some secrets about not only her past, but things that also happened to Lakshmi. And she just doesn't quite know how to deal with this, but she knows that she wants to be a part of her sister's life. Um, She doesn't necessarily want to be completely on her own anymore. And so she slowly begins to let people in and to understand that you can be strong and independent, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that you live in a vacuum. This has such a strong sense of time and place. And I really enjoyed watching Lakshmi kind of figure out her place in this world where she doesn't really feel like she fits in. She's not really sure she wants to fit in. But then if she doesn't, like, where does that leave her? Um, It's set in a time and place where women didn't really have a lot of choices and yet Lakshmi was able to make some of the most important choices for herself and I really really appreciated that so this is the henna artist and it is by Alka Joshi that looks really really good it is so good 
been so <clears throat> sad in places, but so good. So as I've previously stated, I love, love books about people starting over in small towns. And I don't know why, because I don't want to start over in a small town. I did that like three years ago and it caused like some pretty significant emotional distress, but I love reading about people that start over in these quirky small towns. And so today I'm going to talk to you about Back in the Burbs. And this is written by Tracy Wolf and Avery Flynn. And it's so much more than a romantic comedy. It's about Mallory. She's 35 years old. She met her husband in her early 20s and basically quit law school to help support his dream of opening his own private law practice. So she, you know, worked all the menial jobs to get him through law school. And then she worked as a minimum wage um, office manager, you know, as he was getting this private practice off the ground. And then three months ago, now she's 35 and she walked in on him and a young I guess she was like a paralegal or an office manager or something um, in a very, very compromising position. Whoops. And so now she's basically because the fact that her husband has been um, basically a cheating shit for all of their lives and has been very conniving. Um, she's walking away from this marriage with no money and um, she's lost her New York city apartment and the lifestyle she's become accustomed to and she's lost the job that she's had for over 10 years, which is keeping his incredibly thriving multi-million dollar private law practice afloat. And what is she to do except for to move back in with her parents who keep telling her <laughs> that the best thing she can do is wear more makeup and dress prettier and exercise more so that she can get her husband back. No, no, no. No, no, no. At the same time, her beloved great aunt Maggie conveniently dies and oh. leaves her her house. And Mallory has these amazing memories of going to great aunt Maggie's house all throughout her childhood for summers and staying there. And it was like this amazing experience. So she decides she's going to take the house. She's going to go check out the house. She's going to sell it. And then kind of figure out what to do from there. But at least she won't be living at her parents' house anymore. Well, when she drives into Huckleberry Hills in New Jersey, <laughs> and I know, right? And looks at this house, it is nothing like she's expecting. There's a tree that's fallen over the front porch. Um, it actually has 47, count them, 47 HOA violations. Whoa. And, you know, the grass is tall, like the house is coming apart. And when she walks inside, she realizes that the reason that great aunt Maggie always wanted to visit her in the city <laughs> was because she's a hoarder and her house is packed from floor to ceiling with things like out of date coffee creamers and other types of junk. Oh dear. And so Mallory feels that she has very little choice, but to try to figure out how to renovate this house because holy crap, she can't go back and live with her parents. Her ex is trying to squeeze her dry of any penny she might have. And by the way, he wants to marry this woman and he wants a spring wedding. So could she please sign the divorce papers like now? Wow. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like Gabriel would say, no, no, no. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so 
Mallory, on her first night, is sitting outside on her sagging, tree-riddled front porch when this man comes walking down the street with his dog, Buttercup. And he's really hot, but OMG, he is, like, so stick up his, an orifice of his. Where the sun don't shine. Yes, and he's just like, you have all these um, violations, HOA violations, and you might want to start by mowing your lawn so I can find my dog. Um, and he's just really snooty in his suits and his sort of smug superiority. He's trying to loosen his tie a little bit. Right? Yes. And so Mallory um, kind of meets um, a, a, an acquaintance from back in the day, and her brother is conveniently a contractor. And so she hires him to kind of help her begin the renovation process. And it's made more difficult by all of the sort of um, red tape she has to go through with the HOA violations and all of the different, you know, things she has to do. Like even just ordering a freaking dumpster is like this giant, like daunting task. Um, But as she's beginning to sort through all of her aunt's many numerous cluttered belongings she, you know, begins to learn more about her neighbor, Nick. Um, she uh, is being hit on by the hot young contractor. She meets a new friend and discovers family secrets that were supposed to remain hidden for the rest of time. And all of this because Aunt Maggie left her her house, but also left her a new lease on life, including a backbone newly discovered backbone. And I love this book so much. It's all the things I love about starting over, you know, the cleaning out, the, the, the building up, the found family, the, you know, just, you know, finding your place. And that's what was done so well by Tracy Wolf and Avery Flynn in Back in the Burbs. So I encourage you to read this if you want kind of more of a Rom-com with depth, with depth, I will say. It was, it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. So my last book of the night, I've been saving it. I feel like earlier in the podcast, I said that I love books about people who have already been married and divorced. And now they are put back together in uh, circumstances where they have to be together, abide each other. I know yeah, none you of us. Because of yeah. uh, Birthright. Right. When they're oh, talking about Nora Roberts. Yes. Loved that book. I, I really loved that book. But the reason, um, you know, that book was kind of a misunderstanding. And this book is a little bit, there's a little bit more time between the divorce mm-hmm. and um, what happened. So this is My One and Only by Kristen Higgins. Oh my God. I remember when this book came out. Me too. I didn't go to class. <laughs> good class. I just bought it and that was it. Like I stayed in my room just reading it. So this is about Harper James. And Harper James is a divorce attorney. Can you imagine? <laughs> and it feels like she can't catch a break, you know? Isn't it bad enough that her sister is going to get married? And I mean, while well, she's very happy for her sister, but her sister is a little bit flighty in her decisions like she just makes decisions without thinking about them so not only is she worried about her sister but guess who her sister is marrying her ex-husband's younger brother 
because that was one thing that her and her ex-husband Nick had in common that they had siblings that were extremely younger than than them so it's bad enough that she runs into Nick at a destination wedding but because of a cruel (laughs) twist of fate she's being forced to make a cross-country road trip with him can you imagine making oh. a cross-country road trip with your ex oh my god i don't you know it gives me like the heebies just the idea me too i can't even imagine <laughs> oh my god close, like uh, well that was after enduring him the whole time during the wedding too right and like and, the bad and, horseback ride and like the, like it, it was crazy right it, it, it's it's insane like and you know you're not allowed to be chugging some rum in the car so you can be you know out of it the whole time unfortunately (laughs) so harper can't help that nick has come blazing and back into her life in all of his frustratingly appealing glory i guess but in his eyes harper has always been the one Uh oh so if they could only get it right this time forever might be waiting just around the bend so I really love this book. You know, Kristen Higgins very much digs into the nitty gritty of why things happen. And, you know, she's slow about it. Like sometimes I get so mad when I read her books because I, I, I love her writing and I love her books. But I'm like, why are these characters allowing these people to do these things to them? Or why aren't these people communicating? I feel like there's no author whose books frustrate me with the lack of communication more. Even like the romance novels where they broke up for because of a crazy misunderstanding and you know it's like stupid if they don't only talk about it. The reason I feel that these books frustrate me more than those is because of the real life aspect of it. How bad people are at communication. And I, I love how it, it goes back and forth uh, between their marriage and their present. And it lets us see exactly what caused them to break up. And it, it basically teaches you that there can be love, but if there isn't communication, if there isn't, um, I guess, other things, love might not work by itself. And I, I just feel like these two people maybe were meant to be, but needed to grow up before being together. And I feel like she presented that in such a phenomenal way and it was just very funny it was very you know found family it was very messy and and just all the things and poignant poignant and just funny too i i enjoyed it incredibly so this is my one and only by Kristen higgins all right so this brings us to the end of our episode on fresh starts and second chances thank you to stacy and natalia for coming up with such fantastic books tonight thanks goes out as always to christine for all of the fantastic editing that she does for each and every book bistro episode and thank you more than i can say to all of you who join us each week as we talk about all these books that we love so much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. 
and some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.